0: Chapter 2 of The Queen of Appalachia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. The Queen of Appalachia by Joe H. Borders. Chapter 2: A personal meeting evaded. When Paul Thornton finished the laconic epistle that severed his intimacy with the young lady to whom he was indebted for having broadened his mind, and lifted the veil that screened his eyes from the world which he had resolved to penetrate his hands trembled and he felt faint and weak without warning may temple had given him a painful shock and one not easily endured instead of the usual twenty pages of charming prattle that had been part of his life for seven years a bolt of lightning descended from a cloudless sky shattering hopes and bringing despair partially recovering from the shock he picked up the letter that fell from his hands and once more perused it It was so sudden, he murmured. I was not prepared for it. She never cared as much for me as her letters indicated. I was a fool to permit an unknown woman to creep into my heart. Can it be possible that she is serious? It may be a joke, after all. All day long he was silently suffering from the effects of that letter, until he finally became reconciled to the situation. In all the seven years of their voluminous correspondence, no allusion to matrimony or to their future had ever been made except in a jocular vein may lived with her parents who were well-to-do people in a small new jersey town and like paul she was the pet and idol of her home paul had sent her a picture of himself a very poor creation of the photographer's art but for some reason may had never sent her photograph to him notwithstanding the fact that they were merely unknown correspondents with no apparent intention of forming a closer intimacy The sudden termination of their relations weighed heavily on Paul's mind, and he regretted the unceremonious ending thereof. May was indeed a brilliant writer, and her letters bubbled over with racy imaginations, picturesque descriptions and delicious verses, both charming and amusing. There was nothing of the lovesick order. No silly twaddle of honeyed nonsense, nor absurd gibberish of golden dreams. Their bulky letters teemed with pages of purely original sayings that breathed happiness and pleasure and so they had grown up an attachment for each other so firmly cemented that it apparently could not easily be broken paul had grown up with the idea that the fairy tales of his youth were not a myth and that he had only to express his desires and they would be a reality but his faith in the old theories had received its death blow through the agency of an unknown woman and he was smarting under his first checkmate he missed her charming epistles at first but when a few weeks later he left for college to take the finishing touches in education his unknown Jersey girl was forgotten. New scenes, new faces and hard study occupied his mind and time to the exclusion of everything else. When he returned home after an absence of ten months, there was nothing left of the chain that had formerly linked their lives together. He had been home but a few weeks when he was surprised one evening by the arrival of a letter bearing the well-known eastern postmark. Without the loss of a moment's time the seal was broken and he was hunting for the signature. May Temple, then she is not married, said the now enthusiastic young man, and before he had gone through the six pages, all the pent-up feelings of the old days burst forth anew, and he was strangely happy. No doubt May had tired of her new toys and had longed for the old one. She told him that her intended husband was taken suddenly ill on the day before that on which the wedding ceremony was to have been performed, and after a lingering illness of several weeks he was relieved of his suffering by the angel of death. She had gone into mourning, and the moment she had discarded black for brighter colours, she had written to her unknown southern friend. The letter was cleverly written, as usual, and it accomplished its purpose, for Paul fully believed her and once more became her willing slave. They were now past twenty-two years of age, and their letters were quite different from those written in their teens. They grew more interesting as they progressed, and the more intimate they became the less prudent they were, until heedless of the consequences they were compromising themselves to a limited extent but hundreds of miles separated them and even now no thought of meeting ever crossed their minds through this correspondence princeton was made acquainted with all the latest slang and our young hero emerged from the modest blushing youth to a gay young man of the world sober and industrious still but with a thirst for the enchanting gaiety and society of a world unlike that in which he lived While dreaming of future plans and future scenes, Dull Princeton became intolerable, and Paul became restless. He was unhappy and was longing to get away from the little town and its backwoods ideas and customs. "'Why not go to New Jersey for a week?' he asked himself. "'The very thing! Strange that I had not thought of it before.' And having once entertained the idea, he gave it serious consideration until his mind was fully made up. He wrote May that he was contemplating a trip east, and could easily drop in to see her for a day or two en route, as his itinerary included the well-known New Jersey town. Won't she be surprised and delighted, thought Paul, as he sealed and addressed the hastily written letter. Once more he was destined to receive a crushing blow. May did not say no to his proposed visit, but her reply was a disappointment. Instead of expressing delight and happiness, as he expected, he was informed that his unknown sweetheart was just packing her trunks for an extended visit with friends in New York and other eastern cities. She expressed regret, diplomatically saying that had she known of his intended visit a few days earlier, she would have postponed her visit, but that now it was impossible for her to do so. "'I would prefer to meet you at my own home,' she went on, "'or I would arrange a meeting elsewhere. A letter will reach me next week if sent in care of the enclosed address.' Young Thornton expected a far different reply and had completed his arrangements to spend a month in the East." As a matter of fact, he and his father had often conversed on the subject of entering the New York market, so the basis of the young man's proposed trip was that of penetrating the eastern commercial world. It was given out at once, for advertising purposes, that Paul Thornton would spend the month in New York buying goods for the store. So it was out of the question to change the plans, however much Paul desired to do so. The unexpected reply to his letter had given his enthusiasm a check, but the trip could not now be postponed. And four days later, he was a guest at the Astor House, New York. End of chapter 2. Recording by Julian Prattley.